Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 327 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Exposing Lyme, an interview with Alexis Raleigh. My name is Dana Papadopoulos. And I'm Matt Sabatello, and I'm so excited to be here today with Dana and Alexis to share this brilliant story that couldn't have been told better by anybody other than Dana and Alexis together. Yeah, I really loved getting to hear Alexis's story. I was able to relate to a lot of it. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to be relate, be able to relate to a lot of it too. She is a spitfire. She is a reporter from New York. And I'm really excited for you all to hear her voice. She has a very powerful story and voice that I think is going to bring a lot of hope and encouragement to everyone listening. Hey, Alexis. Hi. So good to have you on the podcast today. Um, I'm Dana Papadopoulos, for those who are listening in, and I'm co-hosting with Matt Sabatello um, for the Tick Bootcamp podcast, and we're so happy to have you on um, the podcast today and just hear about your story. I'm really excited to get into it and learn more about you and learn about your journey. Um, I've learned that a lot of our diagnosis or a lot of our journeys are different, but they're also very similar. <laughs> so even just reading a little bit of your story, I related so much to everything. So I'm really excited to jump into it. But why don't you first tell us um, a little bit about you, where you're from, give some background to everyone listening so we can just learn more about you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again for having me. I'm really excited to share my story and you know, get just have other people listen and try and connect and spread awareness as much as I can. But a little bit about me, I actually just turned 25 today. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> happy birthday. Thank you so much. <laughs> I um, was, I believe, 21 when I got diagnosed with Lyme. I started feeling a little bit of like random symptoms here and there. Um, it started more like neurological, like migraines and eye problems and neck stiffness and muscle pain as well. And it just quickly escalated after that with a lot of misdiagnosis. Um, I am from the Northeast. I'm from New York, um, more upstate. So it is a very high tick populated area, mm-hmm. but you'd think that would, you know, kind of have doctors more aware of, Hey, Lyme disease is very prevalent here, but they kind of dismissed it, um, as much as they could, didn't even (laughs) bat an eye when I said, Oh, is this possible? So it's been a journey to say the least, very challenging. And, um, I've somehow managed to get through it with a lot of ups and downs, but I'm here today trying to share my story. So thank you again. I love that. I think when we all go through things like this, it's just after going through so much misdiagnosis and invalidation is just like, once we get to the other side, we just want to share and help other people. Um, but talk to me a little bit about what your life was like before 21. Did you grow up in New York? Um, did you, were you into sports? I know for me, I was heavily into sports growing up. So tell me about your life a little bit before, um, 21. Yeah. So, um, before I got sick, I was just a normal college kid. Um, I was in the process of receiving my bachelor's. I actually had to take a semester off. I should have taken a year, (laughs) but um, I was getting my bachelor's in business and at Binghamton University, and I was having a lot of fun. I mean, just being the typical college kid and going out, but being able to go out, work out at 6 a.m., go to class, and then literally do it over again for four days in a row. (laughs) So uh, it was very... Um, 
like a big surprise when all of a sudden my body just stopped responding and like kind of failing me in a way because I was like okay what's going on here and I have already a lot of I felt like a lot of anxiety but when you get sick it like really builds up so that anxiety got so much worse and then when I was in high school I played um soccer and softball um but I kept getting injured like over and over and over and over again, like down to tearing my like quad hamstring. I had a osteochondritis in my ankle, my SI joint. I fractured my back. So it was like a lot of random things that, Hey, maybe I did have Lyme then and it was causing stuff, but it wasn't as bad as it got. So it wasn't like a huge like red flag because people get injured all the time. Maybe their bodies aren't equipped to playing sports. I was always a little bit more fragile, but it was like very discouraging. So when I did get sick with like the headaches and the constant migraines that wouldn't go away for like a year, it was just... I, I didn't know how to respond to it because you, you go to doctors and you're supposed to trust them and you're supposed to hope that you get better, you know, cause it's a headache. So why isn't it going away? Um, at that time I wasn't educated in the Lyme disease, you know, area and world, I should say. So it was confusing what could be possibly going on. I was misdiagnosed with lupus, MS, everything in between fibromyalgia. So yeah, that's where I kind of was at for about two years before I was diagnosed with Lyme. Um, and like the, the random stuff that happened to me as far as in high school and college was just, I thought was normal. Yeah. I can relate so much to that. Even looking back at my own journey of like growing up, did I, did I, did I have Lyme? Have I had it the whole time? What's kind of like brought it out and kind of what you said before when you were in college, like you were getting up at 6am and doing the whole thing over again. I too, like was, I felt like invincible before Lyme. And then like once the symptoms came, it was just like, it was like, it's when it started interfering with my functionality. Whereas like, I couldn't push as hard. Or like you're saying, the migraines became a complete uh, inability to do like normal everyday um, tasks. Um, So that diagnosis was, you said around like 21 Mm-hmm. And you were right around my birthday. Yeah. So this time when I was about 21. Yeah. Yeah. And you were in and out of like doctor's offices for two years. Yeah. I would say two years um, before that, like how I said, I was uh, in high school, I was getting weird symptoms. I got mono in high school. And like, after that, it slowly started to like creep up on me in ways. And I know the two kind of go hand in hand. So Mm-hmm. Um, I would say around them, but like, it wasn't up until my sophomore or junior, junior year of college that the symptoms became debilitating and I literally couldn't get out of bed or I was just crying in pain because it was so bad. Yeah, no, I under, I totally understand really too. I, I went to college. It took me about six years to finish my, just my bachelor's because I had to drop out at least like twice I know just because I couldn't finish the semester because like symptoms get too bad I ended up in a wheelchair at one point I couldn't make it to classes so I totally understand and um one thing I did want to address really quick before we go further or ask you about before we go further into your diagnostic journey is 
about college. Like you are currently, no, you graduated with Mm -hmm. a degree in business management. Did you know that was something you always wanted to do? Or did you have other goals or dreams growing up? Yeah. So I would say, no, I just, when I was a senior in high school, I got into this college program that accelerated me towards a business degree faster. I took college courses then. So I was like, okay, you know, this, there's a lot you can do with a business degree. So I kind of just kept an open mind to it and went from there. I didn't like, I wasn't in love with it. And then I tried internships and it wasn't completely clicking. Um, but when I was a senior, I think in college, I was like, okay, I think I want to do exactly what I've always kind of felt like I wanted to do. And that was become a journalist in sports. I've been, I grew up around sports. My dad coached professional baseball. And like I mentioned before, my cousins in the MLB. So my brother's played too. My brother just signed to uh, D1 college. So it's always been around me since literally the day I was born. I grew up on a baseball field. So I was like, I want to do sports broadcasting. And I did internships when I was in college that I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. It was difficult because I was sick at the time. So <laughs> it was, I and I didn't know what was going on. So I still really enjoyed it, but I went to Syracuse University to get my master's in broadcast and digital journalism Mm -hmm. and um from there I just graduated in July and (laughs) yeah my career so (laughs) and would you say you're in your dream job now you're working towards it or where are you at with that yeah I would say I am definitely working towards it Mm -hmm. sports uh, to say the least, but I do enjoy covering local stories and, you know, sharing what's going on in the community. I would like to have more of a sports focus, whether that be in even radio or, you know, some sort of field. It's very, you know, open up. So you can kind of do anything with it, but I, I do like being on camera and having my personality show through that. Yeah. So I would say I am working towards it. It's a a tough, uh, area. (laughs) It's very, um, uh, kind of brutal in a way, but like, you know, if you like it, then you have enough thick skin, you can deal with it, which I think after everything I've been through, doesn't really phase me (laughs) with what is said to me and what's not. So, uh, yeah. So, and it's a grind. It keeps you busy. So yeah, I would say I'm working towards it. I love that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I always say I'm like, (laughs) When I'm like scared about something, I'm like, listen, I've dealt with Lyme disease for so long. I'm like, I can do anything at this point. Yeah, that's how it scares me at this point. Um, okay, great. So I'd love to get back into kind of like that diagnostic journey and first having those debilitating symptoms come up in your diagnostic journey with um being like going to doctors for like over two years. And I know for me, when I started going to like when I started becoming like very debilitated and trying to figure out what was going on, I would go to doctors and I just, the diagnoses kept piling on, but you know, I never got like the Lyme diagnosis or I was never taught, like told like, Oh, there's a root or they couldn't even tell me what the root was. And then any, all my diagnoses were just like incurable. Um, so at that point, all they could help me do was like, here's symptom management and here are like medication. So can you talk to me about what that was like those two years of just like 
doctor's appointments, diagnoses. And then you said eventually you did get um, diagnosed with Lyme, but I missed that. How, if you want to share like that journey yeah. and then again, like how you got diagnosed with Lyme, like, was it a blood test? Um, and then, yeah, we'll go with that first. Yeah. So it was like for that, those two years, it was a bunch of seeing doctors over and over again, even for my heart, my nerves, everything in between. And my, I guess the doctor I saw the most was the neurologist. I went to Buffalo, New York to see a specialist and they just kept diagnosing me with migraines and I was getting like Botox to help manage that. I was doing emgality shots, which is a shot in your stomach to help with migraines. And I, it really like never took away the full you know, pain. And then it just kept getting worse as the Lyme kept getting worse. So I ended up seeing a neurosurgeon because they did a, a MRA and the neuro neurologist was like, Hey, I think I see an aneurysm. I'm not sure, but let's go get it checked out. So the neurosurgeon I saw did a CT angiogram and he was like, it's not an aneurysm, but you have severe swelling in the brain. So I would have you start off with getting diagnosed with Lyme disease, lupus, and then MS, but let's start there first. So I saw a special, I saw a Lyme literate doctor in Albany, and he diagnosed me with a blood test uh, to determine that I had Lyme and Bartonella babesiosis, reclosis, rickettsia, um, babesiosis, if I didn't say that. So it was kind of a lot. And it was stressful because I was like, what's going on? And um, yeah, so that's kind of how it went, but that's what got me there. And then I did the protocol that he wanted, which mm -hmm. was oral antibiotics. And then I got a pick line in with IV antibiotics and it really didn't do much of anything for me besides completely destroy my gut health. And I had no sort of life, you know, living on a, with a pick line and six hours of IV antibiotics every day. So I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, um, mom, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I have this plan. I did a lot of like research myself and did, I was kind of my own advocate and found a different path that led me to San Aviv. Medical Institute in Tijuana. So Alexis, we're really excited to get to the Santa Aviv part of your journey, but I want to spend a little more time talking about your diagnosis in the first year of antibiotics, because yeah. a lot of people we've spoken to have had success with antibiotics, you know, and it may just be, okay, knocked out 40%, and then I had to find alternative medicine for the other 60. Some people say it didn't help at all, but I'm just curious what specific antibiotics were you using? Was it one antibiotic? Was it a cocktail? Do you know what exactly you were getting through the pick line? Um, I can try to remember it was a bunch because I was doing oral antibiotics as well. I was doing a certain antibiotic that was yellow for the babesiosis. It was a liquid. Um, I did that. And then I was on two other oral antibiotics on top of three IV antibiotics. And I want to say one of them was Rocephin. I want to say the other one was like Doxy and can't exactly remember, but it was a bunch and it was pretty much, you know, it was supposed to cover Lyme and all the co-infections, but I, it didn't, it didn't really do much for me. 
but you were pr- hitting it pretty hard, right? I mean, that's that's a lot. Yeah. Oral IV. Yeah. You were doing specific IV and orals for Lyme and co-infections, including Babesia, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, did you feel any better at all within this one-year window? In the short term and the long term, was there any improvements in your health or was it really just status quo for the entire year? I would say about like 20%. So not much of an improvement. And it was discouraging because mm-hmm. <laughs> I just didn't want to be 20. I think I was 22 at the time. Um or 21. I don't know exactly when I started it all, but yeah, it was, it wasn't really helpful to say the least. And you mentioned there may have been some other things that were side effects of the aggressive antibiotic treatment. So what was happening to your body because of the antibiotics that you think were side effects or consequences of the treatment you were getting? It really destroyed my gut health. Just the amount of antibiotics I was on for such a long period of time made me more fatigued, more depressed, more anxious. It just wasn't really getting to the root cause of just, I guess, killing off the bacteria. Were your doctors working with you to address the psychological and the emotional components? Because Lyme does cause psychological symptoms, right? It causes anxiety and depression. It's a known symptom. Plus, when you're that sick, it's natural to become anxious and depressed, right? So were your doctors seeing this were you sh- or were you sharing this with your doctors and were you getting any kind of emotional support throughout this one year window as well? Yeah, I was sharing it with him and he would give me like strong anxiety medications and depression medications. And I mean, like, <laughs> I think one of them was lithium. And I was like, I don't think this is the right you know, this isn't gonna, like, this is strong. This is like, you know, for bipolar and schizophrenia, like, I don't think this is what it was. So I kind of took it for like a week and I was like, no, I'm not taking this. I felt worse. And I just was even more anxious and depressed. And that was, it wasn't really like, oh, you should go see somebody. I probably wouldn't have anyway, just because I didn't want to talk to anyone, but it was more of, let's give you more medication and medication. So I always like to look for signs that we see in this podcast to help other people that are listening to your experience learn from your journey, right? And I think the fact that you were given such strong medications to help with your mental health, and it didn't help to me is a sign that there was something else going on, right? Because these medications do help a lot of people that are suffering from bipolar disorder or things like that. So do you think looking back that that was a sign to say, hey, look, I'm depressed and anxious, but there's an underlying physiological bacterial cause to what's going on with my mental health right now? Like, you think that's something that could have been picked up by some of your doctors at the time? Yeah. Before I was diagnosed, you mean? Um, Even when you did your first year with the IV antibiotics, it sounds like your doctor was just throwing all this medication at you to help with these emotional symptoms, but not really explaining that they're being caused by Lyme and Herxing and treatment and things like that. Right. Right. So, I mean, I think he was like, this is going to happen. But after a year, I'm like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> when's it going to stop happening? And I just, I got sick of it. I got sick of watching everyone around me live their life and me just sit in bed pretty much all day being anxious, depressed and pain and having IV antibiotics take up the majority of my day. Totally understandable, right? I mean, now, was he doing anything to help combat the gut health side of things? Because obviously your gut was being damaged from all these antibiotics. Were you doing anything to address that or any other alternatives in addition to the antibiotics that help you counter the damage being done throughout this one-year window? 
Yeah, I was given a heavy dose of probiotics the morning and night. I just don't think that it was enough because I was still getting hit with the antibiotics. So it was kind of counteractive in a way. Um, not really exactly. Um, you know, you take the probiotics once you're off antibiotics. So it was, you know, you're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It really didn't do much. I know I ended up getting diagnosed with like a leaky gut further in my diagnosis down the road. Yeah. And leaky gut is very common with, with prolonged use of antibiotics. So let's talk about now you finally made a decision and said, Hey, things have to change. Right. And I know this is, I do want to get to Santa but I know I'm, I totally jumped in on Dana. So I want to make sure Dana doesn't have any more questions. Uh, And I'm going to step back anyway, Dana, you can take it from here if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I do just want to, you just said so many great things, Alexis, that I just wanted to make sure I validated and just kind of spoke to, because you said so many things that I related with. Um, And I think something that's important to note is just the grief and the emotional turmoil you go through when you get sick so young, especially in college, like you were saying, like, it's very hard when you get sick and you're supposed to be this young, vibrant, and you're like in the, you're in like the prime years and you're like, and you're in an environment where you see all your friends like living to their fullest potential. And you're like, I'm sick. Or like, why can't I do that? I think, and I know for me, that's something that I struggled with in the beginning. Cause I also was like, I was at my sickest or when I was first getting diagnosed and stuff like in early college and, and I would go to doctors and I would tell them like how I was feeling kind of like you. And it just got really hard because I would be like, you know, being young and you look, you look good, quote unquote, (laughs) they're like, Oh, you know, it's just depression or anxiety. And I'd be like, okay, yes, I'm depressed and I'm anxious, but I'm like, it's because of X, Y. Exactly. (laughs) It was like, I'm like, I was like, depression and anxiety isn't causing all of this. Mm -hmm. The depression anxiety is a byproduct. So they would treat, like, they would want to like treat me with the medications. But what I found for me is like any medication I was on, honestly, for me, and it like, like um, Matt was saying, it helps some people, but I know for me, one of the things they put me on just made me feel really numb. And that was also really hard. Um, just the medication. But again, it was just like this whole journey for me of like, being put on stuff for like symptom management, but like never getting to like the root. And then I did want to also say that, like, I definitely did relate with you in the sense of like, gut health. I, I'm on this journey with my healing. I know this podcast isn't about me, but I did want to note just to say with you too, like, um, a big part of my journey has also been like gut health. And I was also put on antibiotics at times, but I know for me, I couldn't even finish a round of antibiotics because my gut was so, um, like messed up. And I've also been like diagnosed with like leaky gut and all those things. And also like, which I didn't learn until later, like having gut issues, even like Matt was saying that can even cause like depression and anxiety. So it's just, it was this whole journey of like being diagnosed with things, but like never getting Mm -hmm. to the root. And then, um, I also had to go through a lot of therapy also that also, I feel like that was also a very big saving grace for me when I didn't have friends or family that could understand what I was going through. Like I, my therapist was the person I could like unload, like I'm 20 something. I feel like I shouldn't feel like this. All my friends are getting to do whatever or like anything they want. And I'm stuck in a wheelchair. Like I'm like just trying to make it through the day. And so I just wanted to 
Yeah, no, I, totally I relate. I totally understand very similar journey and it's hard. I don't think we, I don't think a lot of people understand how much grief really comes from Lyme diagnosis and all the health issues we go through. And that's something that we have to like learn and process. And you have to feel that grief. Like I always say, and it's something I'm still working on is like, it does really feel like I'm 31 now. And I'm just like, sometimes I think I'm like, wow, it feels like Lyme stole my twenties. Like, <laughs> cause I was just sick most time. And I think being able to say that is important because to like, to acknowledge the grief and I, cause I think a lot of times that's something that we don't do in our journeys. And it's really, it's really rough. Like it's, is a really hard journey, but part of healing is being able to almost like hug those parts and be like, it's okay. And it helps you move forward in your journey of like continued healing, but we'll go back. I just wanted to say all that. I totally understand where you're coming from. And I think on top of that, a lot of trauma too, that is hard to process and then try and get through it because the smallest thing can, as far as, you know, how I, like, I guess for me can really trigger me. So it's, I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard on a whole different, not just physical, but mental like aspect it's ooh. <laughs> yeah, it is it's a sect of trauma I'm totally mm-hmm. in agreement I feel like I think I even said this on my podcast like I'm even going through like trauma therapy right now and I'm just like I read the book the body keeps the score I don't know if I'm allowed to plug things on the podcast but I totally am that was a great book um but I just realized I was like why is no one talking about chronic illness literally being its own sect of trauma like that is its own subject in and of its own and I'm like maybe one day it'll be recognized as a yeah trauma in and of itself right and that's I, interesting because I was actually talking to my mom yesterday about starting trauma therapy or yeah. something along the lines and uh, I'll have to check out that book as well but yeah it's, great book. yeah it's tough <laughs> I'm gonna jump in real quick because I have to just share we we love Dr. Jeff's tick boot camp and she t- she posts a lot of great content about trauma related to chronic illness and how it can inhibit you from healing. Mm -hmm. And there are so many stories out there that she shares all the time about people who are doing everything right to heal, but they're stuck. And once they can address that trauma, they can break through that final stage of healing. So Mm -hmm. we see this often. And I think Dana, to your point and Alexis, to everything you've been explaining about your journey, this experience is traumatizing and we have to work through that. So I just want to, you know, confirm that this is really important piece of healing that when I first got sick, I never would have wanted to accept or admit because it makes me seem weak and it makes me seem not strong, like I'm traumatized. But this is a very traumatizing experience, and we have to address that to get through to break through our healing, you know, potential. I feel so. I just want to reinforce that. And um, I digress again, Dana. I will let you continue to pick up. <laughs> no, it's great. I'm in agreement with everything you said. Um, so yeah, I w- did want to address too what Matt was going towards with Sanaviv because it was so interesting when I was reading about your um, reading about you um, and what you shared with us is I got to a point too where it's like I had exhausted all my resources. I had done Western medicine. I had gone through to and like after eight years of that failing me, I went to Eastern medicine and then I tried Eastern medicine, lots of different mm-hmm. holistic modalities out and even that wasn't helping me. So I was just like, it got to a point where, I mean, I feel like everyone gets to a point where it's just like, you're just so desperate. You're like, I'll do anything, go anywhere. If it's out of the country, if it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. And like, I remember getting to that point 
multiple times mm-hmm. in the journey. But I remember the one time I actually did look into Santa Eve and I um I like contacted them and I was like back and forth with um the people there and it got to the point where like I didn't need to anymore, but it was definitely on my radar. So can you talk to us about that whole experience yeah. treatment there? What would that what that was like? Yeah, of course. I these people there were the most amazing people that I have ever met and so kind-hearted and actually listened to me. <laughs> I was that was the first as far as doctors. They on top of, I guess, you know, besides the medical aspect of things, I think being treated with respect and actually not being treated like you're crazy and taking you're actually taken serious has a huge role in how you try to progress to heal. Mm-hmm. And I found that with them and they listened to me with everything. And they were truly just, like I said, all around amazing people. Um, they have a whole group of doctors there. They have a, a therapist, they have your main Lyme literate doctor. They have a group of nurses. They have, you do like massage therapy, you do energy healing. You get, they have um, a nutritionist, a colonic uh, for colon hydrotherapy. I mean, there's like a, a long list of things and food that's uh, that you can eat. That's, you know, you, you go through a nutritionist, they, they do the food for you and it's um, designed just for you. And it was just a great experience. I was nervous the first time going into it, but um, I went with my sister because at the time it was during COVID and they're really strict on the passport thing. My mom couldn't like it was going to take so long for her passport to renew during COVID time. So my sister went with me and we're like about a year apart and she did. I mean, she had a great time there and thought it was amazing too, but it was good having somebody there with me. I, it was (laughs) just trying to like explain it. Mm -hmm. So when you're there, you get, um, eventually, you know, you talk to your doctors and whatnot, you get a port put in for two weeks and then you go through all the IV antibiotics, you go through all the treatment. And it's like um, a scheduled day. And it's pretty long. It's pretty lengthy. And because they want to cover all their bases, they want to make sure you're getting the best treatment. And then there's two hyperthermias once a week. And I don't remember how that went because you're under anesthesia for it. So I don't know how that goes. But I remember the first time I woke up, I was really sick because I was so sensitive to anesthesia. But after that, I was fine after the second round and it was just an overall great experience. And it does take a while to feel better afterwards. Cause you just have to, your body's healing. There's so much like pain that it went through for so long. And the way they described it is like, you have a bruise, you know, you get burnt. It takes a while to heal. So that was hard for me to accept. Cause you know, you go there and you're like, Oh, I want to be better, but it's just a lot of patience, but that was the best decision that I ever made. So, yeah. So would you say that was like the treatment in that facility is what like got you back, like to some semblance of functionality It started mm-hmm. like, did it take away the migraines you were having all the time? Yeah. 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 That would be kind of like my saving grace. Um, uh-huh. that's what got me there. And then going back on what Matt was saying about how, if you don't, you know, if you don't heal your mental aspect, it's, you can't, it's can cause 
problems and trying to heal you physically and interrupt that process. So they're really like, they take the mental health part very seriously and they, um, with a therapist, even with energy healing, they mm-hmm. make sure that, you know, you know that and that they make you feel okay. And I think that was important because I never <laughs> get treated like that, even till this day in the States with my doctors here. So that was, you know, really good to see because like I said, you don't, you don't really see that often. Yeah. So was there treatment for like the mental health component different? You said it was a therapist and energy healer. Did they, did they recommend supplements, medication, anything else to like help you with your mental health? Yeah. And they did send me home with, um, like a three month, uh, supply of kind of an antidepressant anxiety just to help me, you know, get through those three months of feeling better and trying to, cause like I said, it's a little bit of a process. So you have your ups and downs. And so they did do that. And that I think helped a lot too, but it wasn't like a long term, you know, like, Oh, take this for five years. It was three months. And I really liked that because they weren't trying to just shove that down, you know, my throat and be like, Oh, this is what you got to do. So that was, that was good. Different. They had a different outlook on stuff. That was two years ago. You said during COVID. Mm-hmm. So would you say like, since then, has your health like been on like an upward trajectory? I know with like my healing, it's always like, it's like a little bit of a roller coaster. you know, you're like going up and down and up and down and up and down, but like, at least there's an upwards trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would been like the past, like two years. I would say that I, I did have to go back, um, and do the treatment again, just because like my case was very challenging. So, um, I did have to go back and do the treatment again, but, uh, since then I've had my ups and downs for sure. I mean, there's a lot of permanent damage that they can't fix, you know? So that's just something that I'm still trying to <laughs> learn to deal with. Uh, I did have a little bit of a, like a crazy setback that I haven't had in a while that still is like, I kind of struggle talking about, cause I just don't understand like where it went wrong. But, um, I think with like, you know, as far as like, just with all the the stuff going on with COVID and whatnot could have affected me. But um, yeah, I'm just, I guess, trying my best to be positive. Mm -hmm. And so let's, I definitely want to circle back to the setback and discuss, you know, potential triggers and things you're doing now to address the setback. Mm -hmm. But I do want to just go back to the Santa V component, because We've probably had about half a dozen people on this podcast go to San Aviv and every single one of them has said the same thing, that it's a foreign country. It's really scary. They bring somebody with them, but the experience as a whole is so refreshing because they make you feel safe. They make you feel comfortable and they address the physical and the emotional side of chronic Lyme disease. So I think you're kind of reinforcing that, but I'm more curious, like what specifically they did, right? So obviously they're known for hyperthermia, which is Mm -hmm. when they raise your body temperature and Mm -hmm. your body gets to a temperature that's so high that the Lyme bacteria can't survive. And it essentially kills the bacteria in your blood and in your body. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the general idea behind hyperthermia. 
but they also do a ton of IVs. And while they're while you're going through this hyperthermia chamber where you're you're under anesthesia and you're getting your body temperature, you know, risen to a certain level, you are also getting pumped with antibiotics to help kill whatever else is going on in your body, right? So it's sort of like a like a one-two punch approach with this hyperthermia. But we know they do more. You mentioned colonics, you mentioned energy healing, you mentioned therapy, you mentioned other IVs, you mentioned other tools. So what else do they do there? Like things like ozone potentially. Can you give us to share with us the breadth of mm-hmm. treatment services they offer while you're there at their clinic? Yeah. Um, they also they do ozone therapy. On top of that, they do hyperbaric. And these are both performed the two weeks in there, I get four treatments of each of those. So um four ozone, four hyperbaric. And they have a like a whole um schedule that they, you know, it comes you do these at certain times. There's oxidation day, there's IV day. So they have it all lined up. I never really dug into why they did. Cause I just was like, okay, this is what you're doing. So I trust you. Um, so they do that. And then the, they do the colon hydrotherapy. They do that four times as well before and after hyperthermia, I think the day before, and then either a day or two days after, um, and that just helps detox, um, especially with like anesthesia and stuff. They, you like, it causes some gut issues. So that helps with that. And they do, it's called like the quiet room and they do therapies there. I don't know. It's more of like, a, I think they do stuff that helps like nervous systems, muscular systems, stuff like that. And they're machines. I don't know exactly what the machines are called or what, uh, they specifically targeted each one, but they do that there and that you're just quiet. They'll let me lay there and then you can go to sleep, whatever works. And, um, I'm trying to think of what else they did. I know. Um, sorry, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to Oh, chiropractic care as well. Mm-hmm. And that was huge. Cause I've got a lot of joint stuff that my muscles, you know, also have caused joint pain and whatnot. So they do a lot and, you know, going, it, it, it is expensive, but if you really compare it to, um, if you didn't have, I guess, insurance in the U S that would be like triple the amount of money compared to what they charge there. So really it's actually a lot better, um, financially wise you think of it because just knowing how a lot of Lyme disease stuff isn't covered by insurance so it was more I guess it was more smart to go there too Alexis do you mean that some of the treatments were covered by your insurance so part of the the, oh okay what's I misunderstood (laughs) no I meant like if you did those treatments like if you did those two treatments in the states and you didn't have insurance in the states it'd be triple the amount of money so in you know out of the country I wasn't really scared to be in Tijuana personally I was like whatever I wasn't I just don't think I had like a care really as much I was like whatever it's all good but um you know I tell my doctors in the the states I went there and they're so judgmental like oh wow you went to Mexico to get medical care like and it's like wow you're you're like that arrogant (laughs) you're like that much better it's it's mind-blowing it's like okay well you didn't do anything for me so It's, um, and that's not even my Lyme literal doctor. So I'm just talking about like, you know, you go to the, your primary doctor who has no concept of Lyme disease whatsoever. I think they do, they don't. So 
I've got definitely in arguments with them. That's a whole other topic. But um, yeah, I I think that the treatment that they did really covers every base that you a Lyme patient especially needs to address. And um, I guess I'm just I'm thankful that they, you know, they do hit every spot as far as when it comes to that. Yeah, I know. Um, I'll jump in and say, like, I remember that was one of the things that really appealed to me when I was like looking at San Aviv is because at the time, like, I can't remember. I definitely had like, it's probably seeing like Western medicine doctors, where I was also seeing like other doctors, but I really wanted where I could like go somewhere and have like all my doctors look at me at one time. So it's just like, mm-hmm. I had a point from like one specialist to another specialist and then none of them talking. It really appealed to me that like, I could go there and she was saying how like they all look at your one case and they all sit in one room and they all talk and they they look at you from head to toe and address like every systemic system in your body all at once. And I was just like, oh, that sounds great. So like we don't do that here in America and Western medicine. It's just like, which is so, I think we do a lot of things backwards, but I'm like the fact yeah. that like, your <laughs> specialists are all treating the same person, but none of them talk to each other. <laughs> like it's you have right. to be like the in-between. I'm just like. So it really appealed to me. And I, I really liked that approach, um, when I, uh, heard about them. And so I'm, I definitely, uh, I definitely still believe in that whole philosophy of like, in order to like heal all of it, we do need to take a look at every system in our body. So whereas like, I don't have like a room full of doctors, I have specialists, but it's not like, I'm like the person like, uh, in the middle all of it. but, um, so that was two years ago, you did treatment, you went again. So tell us a little bit of, uh, where you are now, what you want to share. I know it's super hard. You, you kind of alluded to like, you might be, you know, feeling like a little rough at the time. I know that's in my important, yeah. my journey. That's very, also been very discouraging to me when it's like, right. you're on a high and then you dip again. You're like, and mm-hmm. then start overanalyzing everything. You're like, what did I do? What did I eat? What did I take? <laughs> what did I do to cause this and whatever? So I'm so sorry, share what you feel like you want to share, but if you could um, talk to us now about like, like you said, you went back and how you're doing now and where you're at now, maybe with treatment and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it gets, it gets discouraging. I will say I I did do a test on my cortisol levels. I have absolutely no cortisol right now. So that's playing a huge role in how I feel and flaring my symptoms up, which I didn't realize that it could. So I am in the process of trying to get that back. Like they said, it was like stage four adrenal dysfunction. I believe it's what it's called. And um, it's, you know, they, they do test you know, the, when they do the test there, they literally cover every single base down to blood work to doing the adrenal dysfunction. Any, I mean, everything. So when they check, they uh, check your, your, you know, like your bladder, your, ever. so going through that, um, when I got the adrenal test back, it's supposed to be like this or something, you know, up and down, up and down. Mine was a straight flat line at the bottom. So my, I <laughs> have no energy whatsoever. And my symptoms are like, whoo. So it's been tough. Cause I'm like, okay, what, what's going on? And sometimes I just like struggle talking about it. Cause I mean, especially when you, you know, you don't feel well, you're like, I don't, I have a hard time speaking about it. Cause I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't even know how to process it. So it's hard for me to get it out, but I uh, am in the process of doing that. They actually wrote me a script 
um, my doctor in Mexico wrote me a script to give to my doctor here, <laughs> which has been, it's been so hard to get them to prescribe it. And I don't understand why, because here's the script from, I, I honestly believe they don't want to do it because it's written from a doctor outside of the country and it comes with the arrogance and the ego and, and they just don't want to, because they really don't have any <laughs> exact reason, but my dermatologist who was amazing, um, has really helped me with that because I have skin stuff too. So it helps with the skin and whatnot, um, like rashes and eczema. So I was able to get the medication I needed to be prescribed to me to help my, um, adrenal, you know, dysfunction and I'm on, uh, supplements. I'm on a decent amount of supplements right now just because of where I'm at. But I mean, it covers everything that they're trying to, you know, combat. So I don't really mind it. Like I said, I would do anything to feel amazing. So Alex, can you share with us, do you know what supplement you're taking or if some of them and also what that prescription is? So you can share with our listeners what prescription you were given from Mexico to help with your hormones and also what you're doing supplement wise now to try to continue to improve and maintain your health. Yeah. So the supplements are, um, let me try and think I have GI revive vital health or vital brain, um, uh, B supreme, a multivitamin, um, saffron, I think, and then like another mood improve probiotic, um, vitamin C and, uh, there's two, it's called GI detox as a binder mm -hmm. and then an antimicrobial. I don't think I said that wrong. Um, antimicrobial, right? I know it's a yeah. hard word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do not have a medical background, so I cannot say things, but yes, mm -hmm. um, that as well. So there might be one I'm missing. I can't really remember. Um, they're all downstairs. So if I looked at them, I can name them. Well, kudos for remembering all that. Cause that's a lot you just listed. So you're yeah. sitting here being hard on yourself. And I'm like, wow, I can never remember all what you just described. So yeah. thank you for, for having that at, at, at a recall in your memory. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember Alexis, what the pharmaceutical is that you're, you're working now with your dermatologist to get? Yeah. I, I want to say it's Corta for hydrocortisone, uh, just because that helps with the cortisone levels. Um, like I said, that's a, I'm covered in eczema. So really a lot of it was for the skin problems as well. Um, but my doctor at home, I mean, my doctor in Mexico actually told me to get it prescribed by a dermatologist because they're able to prescribe that medication for that reason. So, um, yeah. And they said any doctor can prescribe it, but of course, like I have doctors that, I, <laughs> that just don't <laughs> want to help out. It's just like, eh, wow, but whatever. <laughs> no, I understand that. I'm currently, even now still, like I'm currently trying to find a doctor that'll refill something for me. And I'm just like, cause like it's, it was been like recommended, but I can't get a position. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, and then it's a vitamin and I'm like, it's a vitamin. I'm like, you right. It's, it's really crazy. So, yeah. um, my primary doctor, I did re leave a message with them. I have like two different primary doctors, more of a functional medicine one and a different mm -hmm. one as well. I guess Western medicine type, the functional medicine one didn't prescribe it, which I was kind of 
um, surprise, but the primary one, the Western medicine area said like their nurse said that she could prescribe it and that she would, but she just, I guess maybe didn't get around to it. So, um, but it's fine because, um, when I had the appointment with my dermatologist, they were able to, um, he was able to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we have to go around, like find some loopholes sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Like get around the system. Um, but it sounds like I'm really thankful that you do have a team of people around you. Like same as me, like I have different people in different spheres. Like I have, you know, primary care, functional med. So I'm, and I'm just really thankful to hear that you have like a team of people and you have resources, like you have Santa V and they're still helping you. Um, that's super great. That can be encouraging, you know, as we're going, as we're, we go through dips to just have like those resources. So I'm really glad that you still have those and you're working towards that. So, um, switching gears a little bit, I just want to hear about where you're at now with your job. So you're, we talked about it earlier, you're in like reporting and journalism. Can you share about, I, I, you might've mentioned it before, <laughs> you have to repeat it again for me, where exactly you're a reporter at, what you do now and like is, I know you said you wanted to be like in, um, more geared towards like sports, but has your Lyme journey, your diagnosis, like, has that affected maybe like your whole reporting field and journalism? Like, is that, do you think that'll eventually like bleed into that one day, like reporting and journalism and, um, like, again, like your Lyme journey, it's talking about Lyme. Yeah. So hmm. right now I am, I had a little bit of a setback, so I was not working for a little bit and, um, slowly getting into things, you know, back into the process of it. Mm -hmm. I love what I do. I, you're never bored. (laughs) You're always doing something. And I I like that. And I think, as I said before, I, I love covering sports, but I do like sharing you know, stuff that goes around in the community. And if I do have the opportunity to share a Lyme disease story or awareness, you know, during seasons, I will jump right on that. I've always wanted to have my skills and my voice be heard in the Lyme community. So that is something that I hope can happen eventually. You know, if, if first, if I do take a different route than sports, that would be where I would want to you know branch off to somehow so I do have my own podcast I actually haven't been able to use it because I got sick so everything's just been like on pause but I I'm definitely not shy to having you know opinions my opinions be heard and I'm not outspoken so um I I do really enjoy that because I have the opportunity to you know have people um, listen to things, you know, important things such as Lyme disease. So, and it, they do cover that um, when they get the chance. Cause like I said, I'm in a North, like in the Northeast, um, which is very prevalent with Lyme disease. So it's, I think getting recognized more and more. And I know, as you guys probably do know, it, it doesn't get recognized as much as much as it should even a little bit. So I think maybe that depends on where you live, but you would think it would be more recognized here, but it is um, gaining more traction. And so I would like, you know, like I said, to either go both those ways. 
Alexis, I just want to say that I think it's so cool that even throughout your Lyme journey, you had to expose the fact that you weren't getting proper care from your team here. Mm -hmm. And then you had to go to Sanavid where you received proper care. So a lot of what you've done, even before you became a reporter, was indirectly or in your own in your own mind, exposing these flaws and then finding solutions to them, right? So now here you are being a reporter and you're exposing news, world news, right? And you want to focus in more now on Lyme disease with the reporting side and sports, which is really cool because you're using, I feel like your God-given talents that helped you overcome the hurdles you experienced in the beginning with Lyme to now turn it into a career and use that to help gain exposure to Lyme disease and the severity of it. So for me, hearing this conversation with you and Dana has been awesome, Alexis, just to hear, and I'm so sorry you had to go through this, but you fought and fought and fought and exposed all of these problems and doctors not treating you the right way to get the proper treatment. And now you're taking that forward into your career. And it's just really powerful to hear the story of hope. So I, I this is not my part. I'm sorry, Dana, for interrupting. I just wanted to tell you how much you touched me already on this podcast, Alexis. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much because it's been, it's been challenging. So I think a lot of another reason why I wanted to go into journalism was because of the way I kind of did my own thing and went, you know, above and beyond and maybe upset some people along the way, but not intentionally just by trying to get better. And, you know, if some people don't like being told that they're wrong or they didn't do something right. And I don't really have an issue kind of being honest and in like, you know, in a respectful way, but especially when it comes to my health. So I think I'm, yeah, like you said, taking those skills and putting it into something that I love. So I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love that. That was really great. I'm great that you pointed that out, Matt, like full circle. It's like, wow, it's like you've been doing like exposing things like from the get go. And it's almost like you've been your own like journalist and reporter throughout like all of it. Um, yeah. And I really... <laughs> That was really awesome. Thank you for that, Matt. That was really great. Um, and I'll just end with this question that um, I think it, it will apply. Um, it's something I've heard in podcasts before, and it was really helpful to hear. Um, but something that, that last thing I wanted to ask you was, in like just kind of like leave everyone with, is if you could go back and tell like your younger self, your, <laughs> you go back and tell your younger self at any age, whether like maybe you want to say like high school or even like, actually, no, we'll say your younger self, like at the beginning of your journey, like what would you tell your younger self? I would tell my younger self to not lose hope because I definitely lost hope along the way and have put myself in some pretty bad mental situations and emotional distraught. So I would just tell myself that it, it gets better. You just have to keep fighting. And if I could tell myself what it was, <laughs> but I would tell myself to, to keep doing what I do best, which is not giving up and staying true to myself, because I think that's what's got me here and has actually just been the reason why I'm still alive given the emotional and physical um aspects that Lyme disease you know the the distraught it causes to us so yeah well Alexis this has been a powerful informative helpful podcast for me personally I know it's going to help thousands of people when it launches 
you and Dana were just brilliant. I cannot thank you both enough, Alexis and Dana, for coming on and joining the Tick Bootcamp podcast and helping others going through this horrible experience. So again, thank you both so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to share my story and be on here. You guys were awesome. So thank you. Thank you guys for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Alexis Raleigh. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Alexis, please check out her Instagram at Alexis Raleigh. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 300 episodes, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.